0: Where's does any like memes? Come on, come on. All right, who doesn't like memes? Like, are you even a person? Like, come on. Um, everybody likes memes. Well, one of my favorite memes are the type of memes that you only had one job. You know what I'm talking about? You only had one job, you know those, right? I saw one that was pretty funny this week. I saw one, it was um, this picture frame that said, my dog, and it had all these hearts, and it had all these paw prints, and it was a cat in the picture. Like, And then the caption was, you only had one job, right? It was the person who was making all this. That was a pretty bad one. I saw one that was pretty funny. It had a camera, right, and it was faced this whole area and it said this area is under surveillance and the camera was pointed at the wall. Like, you only had one job. Right? Or the guy who put, oh, we had pizza tonight, there was a guy who said this is pepperoni pizza and he opened it up and there was only one pepperoni. It was a cheese pizza with pepperoni. It's like, you had one job, you're supposed to put pepperoni on the pizza. And those memes are funny because you got a bunch of them that are probably funnier than those and you can probably search them and show them for the first five minutes in your small group. I'm giving you permission to look at memes in the first five minutes of your small group, but the you only had one job memes. But anyway, those are funny because it's, it's like even when you only have one job, Sometimes we just seem to mess it up anyway. You know what I'm talking about? When your parents have told you to do one thing and you forget what that one thing is, it's like, dude, you had one job and you forgot to do it. I'm like that too. I forget about that too. Well, what we're going to learn about today in the gospel of John. There was a guy who only had one job and he got the job right and he did his one job. But the problem is for us, we have that same job. And the problem is we oftentimes don't do our one job and we end up being like those memes of the people who didn't do that one job. So I want you to turn open in your Bibles to John chapter three. John chapter three, verse 22, is what we're looking at today. John three, 22. That guy who did that one job that he was supposed to do was John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a person we've been talking about earlier. In John chapter one, we learned about what he said, his preaching, how he pointed people to Jesus. That was at the beginning where we said we wanna introduce people to Jesus. Well, we learned about all that, and that's the last we've heard from John the Baptist. But now we're going to hear more about what John the Baptist has to say. And we're basically going to read a speech that he gives. It's not very long. It's only a few verses, but we're going to read about it. But here's how it's set up here in John chapter 3, verse 22. Here's what it says. After this, right, which you got to say, what is that after? Right, after this, remember all the stuff we talked about with Nicodemus and Jesus talking to Nicodemus at night in Jerusalem, and he came to him and asked him, hey, how can I become a Christian? How can I uh, enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, you have to be born again. And he's like, that's gross. Uh, that doesn't make sense. I don't want to be born again. So he has that whole conversation. And then Jesus says, for God so loved the world. And we talked about all that. So this is after this. It says, Jesus, this is the verse 22, and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. So they were in the capital city of Jerusalem. Now they're just going outside the city. Imagine it's like you go like to, I don't know, a big city like LA, right? It says you're in LA and you were talking to some important people and then you go outside the city. You go to Big Bear, kind of where there's not as many people around. So it says they went out to the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. It says, John also, this is John the Baptist, was also baptizing at Aeon near Salem uh, because water was plentiful there, which means there's a ton of rivers and a ton of lakes in this area and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. So Jesus and his disciples are preaching to this group. John and his disciples are preaching to this group around the same area. And it says people are going to both people. They're going to John, they're going to Jesus. And it seems like something's gonna happen here. Look at verse 25. It says, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So they have some argument that they can't get resolved. And they came to John, verse 26, and said to him, rabbi, which means teacher. um, Yeah, it's like you go up to your teacher and say, hey, Mr. such and such. He says, so rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, which you talked about him. says, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. So these disciples of John are kind of mad because it's like they have their church going on and all the people that are listening to them. Jesus has his church across the street and guess who's becoming more popular? John or Jesus. Who do you think becomes more popular? Jesus becomes more popular. People start going after Jesus and the disciples of John stand back and they say, what's going on? We had this, this good thing going. We had this big, small group of people meeting. Well, it was awesome. But now they're all going to that person's small group. They're going to Jesus's group. What's wrong? They, they're actually not happy about this. And they go to John and they say this. They say everyone's going to him, which isn't true. It's just a lot of people are going to him. That's what it feels like. Now, verse 27, John answers. Imagine how you would answer if everyone left your small group to go to someone else's small group. How would you feel about that? You'd probably be pretty bummed that those people don't want to be with you anymore. They want to be with this other small group leader or this other small group. You'd be bummed, but look what John said. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. And what that means is you can't have anybody in your small group. You can't have anyone listening to your preaching. You can't have anything at all, period, unless God gives it to you. So if we think backwards, that means everything that we have, Every person we know, every friend we have, every church we've ever been to, every small group leader, every sermon, all of everything, it all comes from God. And without God, we can't have any of it. So John's like, Look, I don't think of this as a big deal because God has given me these people for a little bit, but now they're not in my small group anymore. Verse 28 says, You yourselves bear me witness, which means, Remember, I said this, that I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So, In John chapter one, we remember John the Baptist is like, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. So you can listen to me for what I have to say, but just know that there's someone coming after me that's more important. There's someone coming after me that has much more important things to say than what I have to say. So he says, you know that I didn't say that I was the Messiah, the Christ, the God's chosen one. He says the one, uh, verse 29, he gives an illustration here. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. That means he says, hey, look, imagine a wedding, right? Remember last, like three weeks ago, we talked about a wedding, right? That's because Jesus actually did his miracle, his first miracle at a wedding. And he says here, John says, imagine we're at a wedding, right? There's a bride and there's a bridegroom, right? I'm not the bride and I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the best man, right? It would be wrong for me, as the best man to try to steal the bride. Could you imagine like um, going to a wedding where the bride, like instead of getting married to the to the groom and having a great ceremony, he's like she's like you know what? No, I actually I want to I want to fall in love with the best man. Right. That just seems that seems like a Taylor Swift song from ten years ago. Right. When I was your age, Taylor Swift was writing songs about um, people leaving each other um, at the altar. Never mind. Just forget it. I was going to say the leaders got that one. But anyway, that would be a weird thing if the bride fell in love with the the best man instead of the, the groom. The bride's meant for the groom. So he says, look, I'm the best man. I'm not the groom. These people are not supposed to be married to me. They're supposed to be married to Jesus. So that's what he goes on to say. He says, the friend of the bridegroom stands there, hears him and rejoices greatly when he comes. He's not mad. The, the best man is not mad when the groom shows up at the wedding. He's happy because that's his whole point there. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He says, he, that's talking about Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. And what that meant was in order for Jesus to become more popular and in order for people to go listen to Jesus, what do they have to do? They had to stop listening to John the Baptist. They had to leave John the Baptist so that they could hear Jesus. And instead of being angry or upset or jealous about that, John the Baptist says, that's exactly what I came here to do. I'm just like the, the, the best man trying to help the bridegroom have his bride. Now, look at verse 31. Now he starts talking about Jesus. He says, he who comes from above is above all. What that means is Jesus comes from heaven and because he comes from heaven and because he's not like a normal person, he's God, Because he's like that, he's above everybody. He's more important than me. He's more important than anybody else. It says, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. John's not perfect like Jesus is perfect. He says, he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Think about that right? That's kind of weird because we just talked about how everyone was leaving John the Baptist to go hear Jesus. And what John the Baptist says is actually not enough people. Oh, there's a helicopter. Um, he who's from above, like there's a helicopter that, no, that, that doesn't work. Anyway, um, Jesus and John the Baptist, this discussion here, John the Baptist says that Everyone should listen to Jesus because he comes from heaven and I don't come from heaven. I'm just a normal person like you. I speak words from God, but not like Jesus does. He goes on and he says, he bears witness of what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. See, think about this. When Jesus talks, you realize he doesn't talk just like you and I talk. If you talk to your friend about God, right, you know God in a very limited way, right? You know him through the Bible. You know him through faith. How does Jesus know God? Think about that. He's lived with God forever. He knows everything that God's ever said. He knows, he's like, he's with God. He is God, right? So that makes it a little bit different when he talks about God. We should really listen to him because he knows God on a deeper level. He knows God, and he's been there. It says, but no one receives his testimony, right? Everyone, not just John's followers, but everyone should have gone to Jesus, but they weren't. Look at verse 33. He says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. When you believe Jesus and obey his words, what that means is you're saying, I believe that God is telling the truth. It was, it was true then, it's true now. Verse 34, for he whom God sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. So Jesus has all the authority from the father. Verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, okay? That's the section we're looking at tonight. And we got two points that come from the first half and then another point that comes from the second half. So this first point, I want you to see this, first of all, that John's whole point of being a a preacher is not about him. His whole existence, he had one job, okay? It was to talk about Jesus. It was to point people to Jesus. It wasn't about himself. So I want to write this down for point number one. If we're going to be like John the Baptist, we need to do this. We need to find joy in promoting Jesus, not yourself. You need to find joy in promoting Jesus, not yourself. Now you might think, well, I, I'm not like a preacher. I don't you know, stand up on stages and talk about God. I mean, I'm just I'm a normal person. I don't do that kind of stuff all the time. Well, that doesn't mean that your job and my job is not to talk about Jesus. In fact, we know the Bible says our job is to point people to Jesus just like John the Baptist, right? And when we promote Jesus, what does that end up doing to us? We miss out on opportunities to promote ourselves, right? I want you to think, what does it look like to promote yourself, right? People do it all the time, right? Selfies, right? Videos on TikTok, right? I know, I know you post videos on TikTok. Alexander has a take. Have we ever told you Alexander has a TikTok, and sometimes we snoop your your, uh, your TikTok profiles because we follow you. Um, anyway, that's weird. Um, but think about it. Like, when people post stuff, when people talk, when people in a conversation tell stories about how they did something even better than you did, what is that all doing? That's all promoting themselves. Okay? And now I want you to think, do I do that? Is there anything that I do where all all my point is in that is just to, promote myself and make myself look good, right? The, the reality is we all do it. Even if you think, oh, I don't do it as much as the next person. We all promote ourselves sometimes. Think about this when we're telling stories, you know, maybe even in small groups, right? And we say, well, someone says, oh, I'm really good at this thing. I'm really good. I, I, I've, I'm really good at obeying my parents. And you say, well, huh, you think you're good. I'm really good. Like, or or sometimes this happens when you're talking about sports or something, right? Or followers on Instagram. It's like, oh, you you oh, you have a lot of followers. Oh, you have a uh, you have 500 followers. <laughs> yeah, huh. you know, I have more followers. Or you have a thousand followers. Huh, Well, I I have 1,200 followers. I'm I'm a big deal. Or maybe sometimes we talk about sports. You say, oh, I made it on the all-star team. Like, well. <laughs> I made it on the all-star team last year, right? Whatever, you know how it is. You know when people one-up each other in conversation? Not with me, if you know what I'm talking about. It happens all the time, right? And the the scary thing is we do it too. And we need to make sure that when we have conversations with people, we're not just in it just to promote ourselves because John the Baptist did the very opposite. When he had an opportunity to get mad because Jesus was becoming more important, he didn't, he didn't get mad. He didn't get jealous. He didn't get selfish. He was humble. He promoted Jesus instead. I want you to turn to a passage that's really important. Uh, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles, that's to the right in your Bibles. If you're in John chapter 5, turn to the right to Philippians chapter 2. Paul's going to talk about, okay, if we're supposed to live like Jesus and even John the Baptist from our text, one of the things that we're going to need to do is be humble and selfless. What that means is we get the attention off of ourselves and we put it on someone else. And this passage isn't necessarily talking about putting the attention on Jesus. It's just talking about putting the attention on other people, our friends, our family. When we're in conversation with them, that we're willing to talk about them and not just talk about me, me, me all the time. Listen to this. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Think about that. Do nothing from selfishness. That means... That when we do stuff, we've got reasons why we do stuff. And I know this is very simple, but think about it. Everything you do, there's a reason in your heart behind why you do that thing. If you say things about yourself that are good, there's a reason in your heart why you do that. If you go and you help someone, there's a reason in your heart why you do that. If you disobey your parents, guess what? There's a reason in your heart why you go do that thing. Jesus makes that very clear. What Paul's saying is, the, the heart motivation behind everything you do. I don't want you to do any single thing, whether it's saying any words, going any places, doing anything if the reason for doing that is to make you be the center of attention. For you to be selfish is the word he uses here. Do nothing from selfish ambition, trying to make yourself look good and make other people look bad. Don't do anything for that reason. Sometimes we can even, even do good things for bad reasons. He says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. You know what conceit means? It means like looking down on people and saying, oh, you're, you're lame, and you're stupid, and I'm awesome, and I'm great. Right? That's what conceit means. So like look down on them and say, wow, they're terrible. He says, don't do anything like that. Don't have any words like that. Don't do anything from selfishness or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. What happens when you count other people more significant than yourself? That means I think my friend is more important than me. Okay? And when you think that way, what ends up happening? If there's, one, if there's one cookie left, what happens? Who does the cookie go to, you or your friend? Right? When you're doing things from selfish ambition and conceit, what does that say? Oh, I, I want it for me, I want it all about me. When your thought is I want to count other people more significant than me, what happens? You start giving things to people. You start letting other people go first. You start being humble and and start not being upset when things don't go your way. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't just be concerned about whether or not you look good in a conversation. Don't be just concerned about you being seen as the most popular or the most pretty or the most talented or the most whatever thing, fill in the blank, smart, whatever, fill in the blank. Don't think like that. Put other people's interests and say, I want to today when I go outside, which I know doesn't happen very often these days, right? But when you go outside and you wanna go to church or you go to soccer practice or you go to baseball practice or you go to whatever, right? The thought process here is I want to make sure that I'm doing what I'm doing and saying what I'm saying to make other people look good, to do it for other people, not for me, What I'm saying might be something that you've heard a lot, but I really want you to think, how often do I do things just to make everybody else think that I'm cool, or that I'm popular, or that I'm pretty, or that I'm talented, or that I'm smart? How many things do you do every single day or every single week that's really just all about me, me, me? I think the truth is, if we really looked at our hearts and if we really really thought about it, which is one thing we're gonna do tonight in small groups to really think, have I been doing that? Maybe the good thing, maybe me posting in my DBR group chat, although it's a good thing, maybe the things I've been posting in the long post, maybe that's been because I've wanted everyone to think that I was smart or spiritual or or wise or whatever, maybe. right? And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight in small groups, but before we do that, I wanna move on and keep thinking about this. Um, Why do people get jealous? Why do they get jealous? Why do they fight? I think one of the reasons we do that, James 4, verse 1 says this. It says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Why do people fight? Why do they get jealous? It says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? All the things you want are at war within yourself, and they fight against other people. It says, you desire things, and you don't have them, so you get mad and you, you murder, right? Which is the worst thing you could do. If you don't get what you want, right? You hate people. You, you do things that are aggressive to try to get that thing back when you don't get what you want. We all do that. It says you covet, which means you look at something, you want it, but you can't have it. You want it in your heart. It says you, you look at things, you covet things, and you can't get them, so you fight with other people so that you can get them. You fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And a lot of those things we don't even go to God about and pray about. That's what he's saying in verse 2. You don't have because you don't ask. I want you to think about that. How many times are we fighting with other people and what those fights are really about are all about I'm selfish and they're selfish and we're putting ourselves first, not looking to each other's interests. I think we find that a lot of times the reason we don't get along with people is because of that right there. There's a guy in the Bible um, who did this very poorly, right? John the Baptist is a good example of putting Jesus first, putting other people first. Right? There's a bad example in the Bible um, from a little book, maybe you've never even read before, the little book of 3rd John, okay? A guy named Diotrephes. Here's what John says, the, other, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. Here's what he says. He says, I've written some things to your church, but Diotrephes, a guy in the church, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So imagine this, you get a letter from the apostle John. And there's someone in your church that says, ah, the apostle John doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not gonna listen to him, right? He was so arrogant, he's so prideful. He's like, I don't even need to listen to the apostle John. And what John says was, the dude always likes to put himself first. That's really the problem deep down. That's the reason he's not submitting to their leaders, right? And think about this, right? What's a big reason why people don't listen to their leaders? What's a big reason people don't listen to their small group leaders or don't obey their parents or don't listen to their teachers, right? Because just like diatrophies, they want to put themselves first. And we, sometimes we talk in small groups and a lot of people say, I have a problem disobeying my parents, right? I think every person in the world, except for Jesus has had a problem disobeying their parents, right? You know what one of the big reasons why we don't wanna listen to our parents is? Because we wanna put ourselves first. And that's a desire we have to say, We got to put that away. We need to put other people first. We need to put, in this context, John the Baptist had to put Jesus first. He had to get the attention on him. I just think it's amazing that when people left his small group, that he was not upset or mad or jealous. He was just happy because people were listening to Jesus instead of him because he had the right view of himself. And that's ultimately what it is. If we have the right view of ourselves, we're just happy to serve our friends. We're just happy to serve the people in our small group. We're just happy to serve them. When we have the wrong view of ourselves, what do we do? We say, well, I went to small groups tonight, but I didn't get what I wanted. I went to church today, and I didn't hear what I wanted. I went to school today, and I didn't get the attention that I wanted. What is all that? That's just focus on me, me, me. We need to make sure if that's what we're doing, we need to change that in our hearts. We need to not be doing that. We need to change our hearts. Instead, find joy in promoting Jesus. That's what John did. If you have a right view of yourself and a right view of Jesus, it makes these next words a lot easier. I want you to turn back to John chapter 3, verse 31. Go back to the text, John chapter 3, verse 31. John starts talking about some things that Jesus is. He starts saying some big and lofty statements. I think it's actually the reason why he's happy that people are going to Jesus. And this is kind of his explanation, right? Because maybe the, the disciples were like, wait a minute, why? Why are you happy that people are leaving us and going to hear Jesus? Why why are you happy about that? He starts talking and says, this is why. Because he's going to describe who Jesus is. This is John chapter 3, verse 31. It says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So Jesus is above everybody. Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, right? We talked about that earlier, that he knows what God has said, yet no one receives his testimony. That's not good, right? Even though a lot of people are going to Jesus, not everybody was receiving what he said. Verse 33, whoever receives this testimony set, sets his seal to this, that God is true. That God was telling the truth the whole time. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters, I mean, speaks, the words of God, and he gives the Spirit to this person, which is Jesus, without measure. Right? That, that Jesus has the Holy Spirit without measure, even more than, than we do. Verse 35: The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. That means whoever believes in the Son, whoever trusts what Jesus says, has eternal life. And whoever doesn't obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know, it's funny how he says, If you believe in Jesus, what do you also do? You obey Jesus. Look at verse 36 again. It's kind of weird. It's almost like a trick. You don't even see it happen. Verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. On the flip side, whoever does not obey. Think about that. Whoever believes is one type of person and whoever doesn't obey. The problem is a lot of you might say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't obey Jesus. We find a middle ground. But the problem is the apostle John says there's no middle ground. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to obey him. But, if you don't obey him, what does that mean? That means you don't believe Jesus. You don't actually trust in him like John says you should. I want you to write this down for point number two. This is our last point tonight. Um, from these verses, I want you to wholeheartedly obey Jesus, not yourself. And that might sound weird. What do you mean obey myself? Right, we just talked about those passions from James chapter four that it says are at war. It's like there's a war going on in your heart, right? And you have to choose who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow God and what he says? Or am I just going to follow whatever... I say, or whatever I feel like doing, or I feel like saying. I want you to imagine that tonight, coming out of those doors right there, Mike Trout walked out of those doors. I want you to imagine that, okay? Mike Trout walks out of those doors right there. I've been keeping him in the back the whole time. He comes out, and he comes out. We give him a microphone, and he starts talking, and he starts telling you guys how to hit a baseball, and he tells you how to hold the bat differently and how to think when the pitcher's releasing the ball. You baseball players, you probably be pretty interested in listening to what Mike Trout has to say, okay? Now I want you to imagine after Mike Trout, Michael Jordan walks out. Michael Jordan walks out and he takes the other microphone and he starts talking about the jump shot. He starts talking about his famous two-point long-range jump shot and he starts telling you how to do that. He starts telling you how to create space between you and the defender. And then James Harden comes out with the beard, right? He says, look, here's how you can just travel and nobody will call you on it, right? All right, you guys, yeah. Then, yeah. If, if, if you don't get it, you don't get it, it's fine. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, then I want you to imagine, Lionel Messi comes out. Okay, Messi, there's a lot of people behind this door, I know, You're like, you got like the world's best athletes, I know, it costs a lot of money to bring them all here. Messi comes out and he starts talking to you soccer players about how to score, about how to create distance between you and the defender, how to juggle how to work with your feet. He starts telling you all these things. And I have on the stage, Mike Trout, Michael Jordan, James Harden, for some reason, because he wanted to show up too, and Lionel Messi. You got all those guys on the stage and you're an athlete in some kind of sport. And he starts talking to you. All these guys start talking to you. I have a question for you. Do you believe what they have to say? Are you gonna, If, if Messi says, here's how you should score. And you said, well, I've always been taught this, right? Who are you gonna believe? You're your a YSO coach or you're going to believe Messi, right? <laughs> Who are you going to believe? Right? If you're like, well, Michael Jordan says I should shoot this way, but my dad said I should shoot this way. Who should you shoot like? <laughs> Michael Jordan, right? Mike Trout says, hey, this is actually the way you should think about it before, before the pitcher releases the ball. And you're like, well, hold on, Mike Trout. Like, look, I- I'm pretty good, okay? I'm an all-star on, on the 12-year-old all-star team. Like, I think I know how to hit a curveball? I don't think you know what you're talking about, Mike Trout. I don't think you do that. Here's the thing, I think you would believe them because you think they're credible, right? That they've proven that they should be listened to. And if you believe them, guess what you're gonna do if you believe what they have to say? You're gonna obey them, right? You notice how if you don't obey them and if you don't do what they say, you know what that shows? That you don't even believe what they say, right? If Mike Trout taught you how to hit a ball and you say, no, I, I, I don't believe you, guess what you're not gonna do? You're not gonna do what he says. And if you don't do what he says, right, what does that show? That you don't believe him. You see how even in sports and even with things like that, if you believe the person who's telling you what to do, you're going to do it. You would probably believe those guys if they told you how to do those different sports. Here's the thing. Jesus is even more trustworthy than them because what this text says is he comes from God. And we have to listen to Jesus. He's the only one who can tell us how to become Christians. He's, I mean, he's the only one. He's Christ, Right. He's the one who has the answers on all that. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, his word has gone out to you. You've heard the gospel. You've heard that you can become a Christian by turning from your sin and trusting in what he did for you on the cross. You've heard that before, but you've said, no, 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 I think I, I know how to do this. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep on plodding along, acting like a Christian, trying to make everyone in my small group think I'm a Christian, but, but I'm not gonna really listen to him. Right? When we don't respond to him, It's just like Michael Jordan coming out, teaching you how to shoot a basketball and you say, no, 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 look, I know how to do it. You don't know how to do it, If you believe Jesus, you're gonna obey him. That's why Jesus got mad at a group of people one time. He got mad at this group and he says, this is in Luke chapter six, he says, why do you call me Lord, which means boss? Why do you call me your boss if you don't even listen to me? If you don't even do what I tell you to do? He didn't say that you don't believe me. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Because you don't even obey me. And we need to see that believing in Jesus and obeying Jesus, those are basically, although there's a distinction, they're basically one and the same because they happen at the same moment, right? And you might say, well, I haven't been obeying Jesus the way I should. I I, I know I haven't been obeying, right? Well, then here's what you need to do. You need to believe. And then when you believe, guess what happens? You obey. Those things happen at the same time. There's a lot we could say, and I want you to write down these passages. We're not gonna look at them in small groups, but if you have time later, it'd be cool for you to write down Hebrews chapter one, verses one to three, okay, the beginning of this book. The author of Hebrews says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, okay? He says that at the beginning in chapter one. Chapter two, Hebrews chapter two, verses one to four says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Since the message declared by angels has proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect? That means don't do anything about Such a great salvation. It was declared first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. What that says is Jesus speaks for God. Right? And if Jesus speaks for God and he lays out in his word how to become a Christian, right? how do you think we're going to escape if we've had the Bible in our hand, if we've heard the gospel and we don't respond to it, how do we think we're going to escape? And he says, how are we going to escape if we neglect such a great salvation? At the end of the book, the author of Hebrews says this. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape in the Old Testament, when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And here's the thing, when we hear the gospel and we get convicted in our hearts and we know that we should respond in repentance and faith, which means turning from sin and trusting in Jesus, and when we know that we should do that and we don't respond, guess who we're not listening to? Not the preacher, not your small group leader, not your parents, not me. It's that you're not listening to Jesus. You're not doing what Jesus has told you to do. Jesus, is from above, which means we need to listen to him. He's trustworthy. The other thing is, the text says he has all authority, which means we need to obey him. Last passage, I want you to write down. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9 says this. It says, in flaming fire, Jesus will be inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It says Jesus is going to punish people, not because... Well, he's saying he's going to punish them. One of the reasons is because they heard the gospel and didn't respond to it. I'm not talking to a group of students who don't know anything about God. This is not like you're on a mission field and you've never heard about Jesus before. You've heard about Jesus. The problem is we have to respond to him. We have to do what he says. I want you to imagine that there was in seven days from now, next Wednesday morning, uh, there was going to be a big earthquake. You guys ever heard of the, the big California earthquake? Like the one that everybody says is gonna happen? And I want you to imagine that for some reason, you knew for sure it was going to happen next Wednesday morning. And it was so bad, and this earthquake was so bad, it would be the highest ever recorded on the Richter scale. It'd be crazy, off the charts. It'd be like a 11.1, right? Imagine that. What would happen to this ground if 11.1, like it would crack open, there'd be huge problems. Nowhere would be safe. You wouldn't be safe in your house. You wouldn't be safe, you know, in the water. I don't know. Like, have you ever thought, like, where's the best place to be in an earthquake? Have you ever thought about that? Like, in a helicopter maybe? Like, I don't know. Uh, I guess so. But we can't all be in helicopters like our friend who just flew over us tonight, Um, whoever that was. But you knew next Wednesday morning there was going to be the big earthquake. You knew for sure. But you went home tonight and you forgot. And you just forgot. Thursday went by. Friday went by, Saturday went by, Sunday went by, Monday went by, Tuesday morning went by. Tuesday afternoon comes and you're like, oh no, I forgot (laughs) the earthquake. There's gonna be an earthquake tomorrow morning and you only have one day to escape. You have one day to get out and you get all your friends, you get all your family, you tell everybody, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, because this is gonna happen, it's gonna happen soon, it's gonna happen tomorrow morning, and you somehow convince your parents that you time-traveled or whatever, so I don't know how you know this, right? So just follow along, pretend like you know, right? Uh, But you know there's gonna be the earthquake. The very next day, you only got one option, right? You, You gotta bail, you gotta get out. You gotta tell everybody. Well, you can be more sure that Jesus was telling the truth that every person is gonna die and that every person is gonna be judged. You can be more sure about that than you can be about an earthquake happening, right? It's gonna happen 100% sure. And if that's true, I just want to leave you with the idea that the author of Hebrews said, if, if you've been warned from Jesus, right, the worst thing you could do is just forget about it. But that happens a lot of times, right? We come to church, we hear a sermon, we know we need to respond, but we just kind of forget about it. That warning that we have from God about heaven, hell, what's gonna happen to us after we die, that warning is, is sure, it's gonna happen. We gotta respond to it the right way. And we gotta respond soon. It'd be dumb for us to just forget about it for another week, another month, another year. That would be just foolish of us. We wanna get right with God today. We're gonna talk about that in small groups. We're gonna look at John chapter three, we're gonna look at Philippians chapter two. We've only got two small group questions tonight because we've got a shorter night We're going to be done here pretty soon. But I want you to be thinking about these things, and I want you to be honest in small groups when we start talking about this. I don't want you to be like the disciples of John the Baptist were, where they just wanted to put themselves first. Be like John the Baptist, who was honest, who put Jesus first. We want to think like that tonight in small groups. So let's pray right now, and we'll transition over to small groups. Let's pray. God, thank you for warning us in your word that there is something that's going to happen to every person after um, we move on from this life we know that for sure every person is going to uh, face an end of some kind whether um, it's soon or whether it's a long time from now Um, we know that we know that every person who's ever been born has died and we know for sure that what you're saying is true because you come from heaven you are the one who set up this whole place you know exactly how this is all going to go down i pray that we wouldn't be foolish like the person in illustration who forgot about the earthquake all week long. Pray that we'd make preparations now that as we think about our relationship with you, that you would help us trust in you. That when people tonight turn to you and ask you for forgiveness and they ask you to make them Christians, I pray that you would respond as you always do with yes. Pray that you would change our hearts. As we talked about earlier with the selfishness. I pray that we would Work hard at not being selfish and putting ourselves first. Pray that we'd be all about putting you first, making sure that in our lives you are the most important.